we're gonna have to edit that out. <laughs> It's Friday, January the 26th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Darach, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Recuperating Invalid, and with me today is my fellow Contributing Editor and Cultural Ambassador, Molly Quell. Our regular third podcaster, Master's Civil Engineering student and reality TV devotee, Paul Peters, isn't with us today because he's studying, allegedly. Or possibly because he's melted in the heat, because it's been an unseasonably warm week, hasn't it, Molly? Yes, it's been uh, it's been crazy warm. Uh, Wednesday was the warmest January 24th on record. The record fell before the sun had even risen when the thermometer reached 12.2 degrees at 7 a.m. It rose as high as 14.7 degrees in some places during the day. The official temperature at DeBilt was 14.4. Weather Bureau KNMI said that there have been eight times as many warm weather records as cold weather records since the turn of the century, and skating associations are worried about a generation of Dutch children who are going to grow up never having seen a frozen canal. Where else in the world would people get misty-eyed and nostalgic about frozen canals? Mm, nowhere. But I do actually think that uh, Paul ha- is not studying, but actually has an exam right now. Ah, that's, right. that's the rumour that I heard, at least. Ah. This week, we'll fill you in on how Dutch spies helped dig out the moles in the US election campaign, bring you the latest developments in the Kroningen earthquake saga, find out what you can do at a politically incorrect conference, and look at the return of one of Dutch football's biggest stars to the Eredivisie. In our discussion, we'll look at the latest state of play in the Dutch housing market. In our top story, the Dutch security agencies AIVD and MIVD played a crucial role in detecting interference by Russian hackers in a 2016 US presidential election. According to reports on Newsur and in De Volkskant, the Dutch infiltrated a team of Russian hackers, known by the codename Cozy Bear, and were able to monitor them as they hacked into the US State Department, the White House, and the Democratic National Committee. Another team of Russian hackers, known as Fancy Bear, have been blamed for leaking emails from Hillary Clinton's camp to WikiLeaks just before the election. The Dutch had access to the Russians for around three years from 2014, and the information they gathered formed the basis of the FBI's investigation into election hacking. Who comes up with these names for these hacking <laughs> groups? I'm not sure if it's the Russians that come up with them themselves, or they're just sort of attributed, or where They need to hire a better branding person. They do, because really. Yeah. Cozy Bear is not, not a good look. So, Gordon, basically, uh, the Dutch guys uh, hacked the hackers, huh? Uh, yeah, essentially, and they uh, came up with all kinds of um, detail about their working methods, uh, such as they, the Cozy Bear team broke into the State Department first, and then they sent a phishing email from a State Department server, so it looked legit, to the to White House, and that then unlocked all kinds of details, including President Obama's personal schedule. And they even hacked a video camera in the building where the Russians were working, which is a university building in Red Square in Moscow, so they could see who was coming and going from the control room and how much time they spent there. Now, a lot of this was kind of reported at the time in the US, but only in much more vague terms, and they didn't uh, explain how they'd come by the information, but it seems, uh, on the basis of what was uh, revealed on news here last night and in the Dutch papers, that a lot of the legwork was done by the Dutch services. Around 700 people turned up for a rally in Rotterdam last weekend, organized by the anti-Islam party, the PVV. Several of the demonstrators carried Dutch flags, but some flew the orange, white, and blue standard of the Dutch Republic, which was also favored by the Dutch Nazi party, the NSB, in the 1930s and 40s. Whatever happened to them? PVV leader Gert Wilders briefly addressed the gathering, according to RTL correspondent Fritz Wester. He turned up for 10 minutes, shouted some things through a megaphone, and then was gone which is 
pretty much his <laughs> entire approach to politics. A counter-demonstration by the Dank Party was kept well away from the main event. So what other fun and games have the far right been up to this uh, this week? Well, there was a, quote, politically incorrect debate at the weekend held by an organization calling itself the Nederlandse Leo, or the Dutch Lion, because the Netherlands, like half the countries in Europe, has the native African big cat as its national symbol. No word on whether or not immigrating lions from Africa have to pass the Embergering exam in order to be able to stay. Organizers of the brainstorming session said they wanted to discuss new ways of dealing with the problems surrounding immigration. Among the ideas discussed were to encourage Dutch families to have more children to stimulate population growth, which is apparently a problem in the most densely populated country in Europe. They also argued newcomers should have to work for five years before they can access the Dutch welfare system and restore respect for the police through kotor correct optreden or culturally oriented enforcement, which I think is fascist correct speak for racial profiling, which of course is against the Dutch constitution. Among those taking part were the former VVD minister, Rita Verdonk, uh, Jenny Dowens, who shot to fame when she organized a blockade of the motorway to stop the Zorta Piet protesters from reaching her hometown in Friesland, and Canadian psychologist Jordan Pearson, for reasons. For reasons unknown, but yeah. it always seems to be at these events. But yeah, it, it's kind of interesting that they, they, they said they were going to discuss, uh, they proposed it, they were going to discuss uh, new and exciting uh, ideas of how to deal with immigration and came out with a load of ideas that have been sort of doing the rounds for about I mean, the, 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 little, yeah. the literal Nazis. Actually, yeah, last, yeah, the, the idea for, for, for um, encouraging families to have bigger children, I think, started with Mussolini. Yeah, it, yeah, possibly. So, so, so they're, they're taking all shades of fascism. Yeah. Oh, we forgot to mention that uh, of the 700 oh, yeah. protesters that turned up, 100 of which were from the Belgian. Were yes, Belgian yeah, there's 700 protesters who uh, saying that uh, we should put our own people first, of which 100 were from another country. More news now of the ongoing fallout from the gas extraction and the earthquakes in Groningen. Economic Affairs Minister Eric Wiebes has written to the 200 largest Dutch companies warning them that they will have to find an alternative source of natural gas by 2020 as the government looks to scale back gas production in the northern province. The minister said the phasing out of natural gas was now unavoidable, but gas producers said the letter came across as a threat and warned that switching to imported gas, which has a higher nitrogen content, was a big challenge that could not be completed by 2020. Sounds like big companies are uh, fishing for some extra subsidy there. Uh, yeah, it sort of looks like they're, they're saying it's all terribly complicated and we can't possibly do it, but uh, you know, if somebody slips a couple of million our way, then it might uh, suddenly magically become a lot, a lot more straightforward. And there was also a court case related to the uh, Groningen gas extraction situation this week, right? Justin Leovard ordered the which is a joint venture of Shell and Exxon, which is uh, responsible for gas production, to compensate all homeowners in Groningen for the lost value of their properties. In the past, NAM had argued that they should only be liable to pay out at the point when people actually sell their homes. Court of Appeal upheld a lower court's ruling that compensation should be done straight away. And now lawyers representing some 4,000 homeowners will sit down and negotiate a settlement. Homes in the earthquake zone have fallen in value by up to 8% in places like Lopusum, which has been the uh, epicentre of uh, numerous earthquakes. While in the city of Kronia, uh, homes are between 0.9% and 2.9% cheaper uh, in the context of a housing market that's generally doing quite well, as we'll hear later. That's all according to a study by research bureau Atlas. Student fraternity Eindhoven Studentenkorps, or ASA, has suspended its chapter LF for organizing a sexist carnival celebration. The posters for the celebration said, What Vrouwen will indut er hashtag neat to, which translates to What women want is not important, ending with a variation on the Me Too hashtag used in the campaign against sexual abuse. The invitation to the party in February was put on Facebook and featured a picture of a woman with her mouth covered by a banner as if taped shut. The ASA has suspended all activities by ALF, while Eindhoven University of Technology 
technology has stopped its subsidy to the society. The TU Eindhoven board is shocked by the offending and misogynist party theme used by the chapter ELF of the Eindhoven Studenta Corps fraternity. The board has suspended its financial support to the ESC and more sanctions will follow, the university said in a statement. And this isn't the only problem that's how fraternities have run into lately, right? No. Earlier this month, Erasmus University in Rotterdam suspended its relationship with the fraternity RSA-RVSA because of unacceptable behavior during the introduction of new members, while Utrecht University broke off contact with the fraternity UVSV for several incidents shown by an undercover television program. And who, 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 and somebody obviously has thought in the students of the um, society has looked at the Me Too hashtag and thought, I know, let's come up with a really clever variation on it. Yeah, well, except and- this isn't... This is isn't a super clever variation. No, it's not, but they thought it was. That's the, ter- that's the but tragedy. But I, yeah, I just don't understand how they posted this. I mean, even if you think that, like, the Me Too hashtag is, like, goes too far and that whatever, that, like, somehow you were going to post this on the internet and, like, people weren't going to get upset with you. I mean, it just blows mm. my mind. Also, in the invitation to the party, in an even creepier fashion, it said you had to be either over 18 or under the age of five. So apparently they're also into pedophilia. In sport, Robin van Persie pulled on a Feyenoord shirt for the first time in 14 years this week as he came on as a substitute against FC Utrecht. Now 34, van Persie has returned to his boyhood club after a glittering career at Arsenal, Manchester United and Fenerbahce in Turkey. He's also the Dutch national team's record goalscorer with 50 goals and 102 international matches. But van Persie's nine-minute cameo couldn't give the defending champions the edge in a game that finished one all, meaning Feyenoord are still in fifth place and very unlikely to retain their title. There was a, a new competition announced this week about the national team, right, Gordon? The yeah, well, it was announced by UEFA, in fact, a European football's governing body, who've unveiled this thing called the Nations League. And uh, basically, UEFA, I think, have decided there's not enough international football. Um, so I can't the, even keep track <laughs> of how much international football there is. Yeah, well, you, you might think that, but uh, obviously, some people see, think there's there, there's still there's still summers um, two summer, two summers out of four there is no international summer tournament uh, when you don't have a World Cup or European Championship. So we have thought this is a terrible thing. They want to fix it by this thing called the Nations League. Okay. Where the whole I'll, I'll try and explain it. Um, the nations of Europe are divided into um, f- uh, four leagues. Um, they play in groups uh, against each other. As small groups of three and four. Are they um, divided based on any sort of interesting metric or just um, at random? No, but it is a kind of league system. So the, so the best nations all cluster together and then the, 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 the second nations who are not as good are in the next league mm-hmm. and so on. So the, the Netherlands is in the fourth? Then, the Netherlands, that, no, but the thing is that because of it in, in historic terms, they've actually quite a good football team. The Netherlands are in the top league, okay. which is a problem for them, which means they're drawn against two really good teams, in this case, France and Germany right. in their group. So, and meanwhile, uh, the Dutch are terrible. So and that's meanwhile, a problem. meanwhile, the standard of Dutch football has plumbed quite uh, fast in the last um, uh, well let's be specific men's football women's football (laughs) doing just fine yeah, but men's football, having got to the World Cup final in 2010, has been on quite a sl- uh, steep downward curve. Yes. So they're still in the top tier of um, uh, of European nations, um, and they're now going to have to play the defending world champions, Germany uh, and the French as well, uh, in this uh, new international tournament. Uh, the prize is that um, the, uh, four of the teams uh, will eventually qualify for the next European Championship in 2020. Exactly how they qualify is an staggeringly difficult system to work out. Essentially... Um, um, the, the winners of the groups uh, will get to play off for uh, these places, but it will run parallel to the regular qualifying competition where teams are divided into groups and will qualify for... I've already fallen asleep, yeah. Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to finish anyway. Teams are divided into groups and will qualify in the normal 
away uh, and any and then there'll be four leftover places so teams that have already qualified for European Championships will not need to qualify again through this uh, knockout system which will be only available to teams that haven't qualified in a traditional way I don't even know what I'm saying anymore I have no idea <laughs> is there any Dick Lawyer news this week? there's no Dick Lawyer news no but uh, another Dutch football manager is on the move because Bert van Maverick uh, has become um, team manager of Australia. Do you want to ask me about the actual best football news of the week? And what's the actual best football news of the week, Molly? My uh, team, the Philadelphia Eagles, has made it to the Super Bowl. They will be playing on the 4th against the uh, the Patriots. Uh, so when you say football news, you're talking in that American uh, wave of football. Yes, of course. The, where, the where, best, where, where the best most rare, terrific football. Where, where feet never apply to balls. Yes. And anyone dresses up as motorcycle messengers. We could have done an entire podcast on ridiculous animal news stories this week. Gordon, what was your favorite animal story of the well, week? Well, obviously the very animal story of the week had to, no contest at all. It just had to be the, um, uh, the Loch Ness Monster story. Right, of course. The Netherlands has its very own Loch Ness Monster, uh-huh. it seems. A police dog out walking with his handler discovered a dinosaur in a body of water in an Almelo. The dinosaur turned out to be inflatable, but the police dog reacted appropriately by lying down. So obviously tra- being trained how to deal with real dinosaurs. Exactly. Yeah, so good, good, resource, good use of resources. There. Excellent use of yeah. resources. Meanwhile, a cow was not taking her impending date with a butcher lying down and broke out of a livestock car, where she took off into the woods and could not be located. She turned up in a herd of another farmer who tried to capture her, but was also unsuccessful. A hunter, licensed by the police to shoot the cow, has also been <laughs> unsuccessful. The cow is still wandering in the woods. And uh, uh, the latest I've heard, there's now a, um, a kind of crowdfunding. No, no, no. There is a cow funding campaign, Gordon. Yes, the Pratyvandadira, the Animal Rights Party, is now uh, raising money so that they can send her to a cow retirement home. And the butcher or the, the farmer has said that, that once captured, the that she can spared. the cow will be spared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this cow will not run into any German wolves, though, because it turns out out they prefer the taste of Belgian sheep. The wolf, named Naya, has been living in the Netherlands over Christmas, but headed across the border where she attacked several sheep. Fortunately, the farmers will be compensated by the government for their loss. Another government, however, is tired of the losses it's sustaining from wild animals and has decided to shoot them. Between 2002 and 2004, beavers were introduced to Limburg. Their population has grown from the original 33 to some 650. Beavers being beavers, beavered into a local dike and riverbanks, causing structural damage. The Limburg Water Board has given the green light to shoot between two and nine of the beavers. Perhaps when they're done with that, they can go shoot this cow when it's <laughs> yeah, all so loose in the woods. Left over. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be discussing house buying in the Netherlands after this word from our sponsors. Axis is an independent, not-for-profit organization which has been helping internationals successfully settle in the Netherlands for the past 30 years. Axis is run entirely by a team of highly skilled, motivated and professional volunteers have themselves been experts. Their vision is to provide essential, comprehensive and unique services nationally through the expertise and experience of their volunteer expatriate community. You can find out more about AXIS and the services they offer at the website www.axis-nl.org. If you are interested in reaching an international audience with your product or service, you can email to podcast at dutchnews.nl for our competitive advertising rates. The housing market is booming. House sales hit a new record level in the final quarter of 2017. More than 66,000 homes changed hands, beating the previous all-time record which was set during the autumn of last year. Prices are also rising by an average of 8% a year, though in the cities of Amsterdam, The Hague and Utrecht the rate was even faster. In Amsterdam, the average property now sells for €415,000. So is this a good time to buy a house in the Netherlands, and what's been people's experiences generally of buying property? Molly, you're in the house buying game, right? We are in the house buying game right now. Yeah, we are are looking to buy in Delft. Um, We've had a... 
I guess somewhat stressful, but relatively not too stressful. I think uh, experience with this, we were first quite shocked to discover exactly how much mortgage they would give us, which was particularly ironic because we, I have a friend that, uh, or I, I know someone who runs a, a mortgage company in Amsterdam. So we went up to make our appointment with with him. So we, mm. we went to Amsterdam, you know, sort of brought all our salary information and everything. And he told us some ridiculously large figure and we sort of balked at this. <laughs> and then we're coming back from Amsterdam and I wanted to use the bathroom at this train station, which requires you to pay 75 cents. And between the two of us, we did not have 75 cents <laughs> to put into the machine. But they would let you borrow. But they would let us borrow a half a million euros worth of mortgage. And so we yeah. found this quite ironic. Yeah, I I think I have been surprised at how incredibly stressful the whole process is. Mm-hmm. Like, we are in what has to be, like, the most ideal... I mean, short of just being, like, a Russian oligarch and having, like, a suitcase full of cash to show up to buy a house with. I mean, we are both you know, have very good jobs, are very in agreement about, like, what kind of house we want, like, can certainly afford to buy that sort of house here in Delft, which is where we are looking, are not having in any pressure to move. I mean, we're, we're quite happy where we are, so there's, like, no no push to just, like, find something. Yeah. And you're renting at the moment. So and we're, you have yeah, no we're renting at the moment, yeah. so we have no place to sell. Yeah. Um, and yet still, it is incredibly stressful to buy a house it's crazy yeah. yeah but it becomes a very kind of emotional thing doesn't it? even though you try and be rational about it if, if, if you see a house and you think this is really the house for me it's really hard to put that out of your head yeah. and, um, and not uh, go crazy for it yeah. yeah and also you get like really picky about stuff like i had yeah. never ever once in my life like looked at the flooring in an apartment that i was renting or a house that i was renting right and now like we have extremely strong feelings about yeah. flooring and like a lot of intense discussion about whether or not Niels and I could retile a bathroom together if we would have to get a contractor to do that. So we really don't want to buy a place that uh, requires uh, a lot of renovations work. Yeah. So we've sort of said, well, if we can't do it ourselves, then we're not interested. So then you get into this really intense discussion about whether or not you can handle like retiling a bathroom. Yeah, it's really, it's a crazy thing. How was it when you guys bought? Because you weren't even living in the Netherlands when you guys bought your house. Uh, no, we were, we were migrating. So um, we, we started um, uh, looking for a place uh, while we were still living in Scotland. And uh, we sort of did it partly remotely. Um, and we d- did what people often do in the Dutch market, which we hired a buying agent. Yeah. So you've hired a buying agent as well. We've right? just decided yeah. to hire a buying agent. So we're yeah. about f- probably f- probably three or four months like into the fairly serious part of this process. The sort of like, okay, you know, the money has been put aside, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And at some point we just decided that this is too much work for us. And like, yeah. I have a job and I don't want to be spending my time like looking at funda and like trying to negotiate housing prices and all this kinds of stuff so we are meeting with our buying agent tomorrow I, we presume that we're hiring this person they've come yeah, highly recommended yeah. it's kind of uh, a strange thing for foreigners to the idea of the buying agent but it's quite common in the in, in dutch market and you always people always bulk, bulk at the amount of money they end up handing over to the agent yeah. but it, it, it's what um i've seen your agent works the same as uh, yeah it's a mind per- you is it, 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 it's a percentage of how much they save you on the um on the yeah. offer price yeah so in the end i, I suspect it's very hard to do the mass and work out exactly how much you're saving um, but the, 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 the theory is that they'll, they'll get you a better deal than you get by yourself right. and therefore effectively you're making a net saving or a very small loss but they're putting in an awful lot of work as well and uh, they know the market and it's always good to have you know, an, an impartial opinion to actually look at the, the house 
you look at Australia thinking this is a wonderful place to live yeah. and actually say, well, you know what, you've got to actually check out that, that slightly worrying sort of patch in the ceiling yeah. and that kind of business that you might overlook. Yeah. So I think so there's a lot of virtue in having the buying agent. But certainly for us, because we were living abroad and we were living in Scotland and we were under time pressure as well because we wanted to move um, while uh, my wife, uh, Machtel, who was going through cancer treatment, so we wanted to move qu- fairly quickly. It was a really difficult and, uh, and, and fraught process and uh, obviously we, we, we had, by the time we actually moved, uh, her health had deteriorated. We had to come bring all kind of um, things into consideration like we had to have a house with a bedroom on the ground floor because you couldn't get up the stairs any longer yeah. and all that kind of business. So it's always a really um, difficult and um, um, emotionally exhausting kind of thing to do. Yeah, I mean, I think even when you're in a more privileged position like we are and not dealing with that, it's a really fraught experience. So I can't even imagine what it's like for someone dealing with it with your circumstances or, you know, we have lots of friends who are not quite earning enough money, but they will be in a few years. So the question mm. is, is like, do you end up house poor for a while? And like, how far out of the this place that you want to live are you willing to go? And like yeah. all these like bits of negotiation. So, um, yeah, so we asked the listeners uh, what they uh, yeah. what they thought about it universally everybody said their housing process was like miserable and stressful and terrible <laughs> um there were some specific complaints about the uh, the the dutch market namely that it's like too expensive and too difficult to buy which i think we're going to talk about in a minute mm. um and also that like the buying agent process was very strange i think for a lot of people people were like not incredibly used to that mm. um in the u.s you generally hire a realtor who does what we call like a, a re- or a real estate agent um, who does a lot of this stuff with you. So I wasn't totally surprised by the, like, Ankult Makalar, like, mm. like, process. I mean, it's not that, it wasn't that, that strange. Yeah, it sounds very, you know, like a similar thing. Yeah, we don't do, wouldn't do that in the UK at all, really. You wouldn't yeah. have an agent or any representative on the buying side. No. You okay. just do it all yourself. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's not it's not that unusual in the U.S. The process for purchasing a house is quite different. I mean, there's not the the notary is not as involved, and like there's some other things here that are different that the real estate agent will do for you in the U.S. So I I am quite curious actually to meet with our real estate agent tomorrow and sort of see what exactly it is that they have uh, that they've done. It was kind of strange because I lived for a very very long time not in a in a house. My my parents moved quite a bit, and so you either have some sort of like assigned housing or you're in, you know you're you're just in a rental because you know you're gonna only be be there for two years, that sort of thing. So I sort of watched my parents do this a few years ago. And despite being in a somewhat similar circumstance, namely that they had the financial means and time and patience and all these things also ended up like, I I remember them having a lot of like arguments about, you know, (laughs) things like what color the kitchen cabinets were. Yeah, all these things you suddenly have to start worrying about when you buy a house. Yeah. So the readers were complaining a bit about uh, prices going up. So yeah. what do we know about, um, like, is the market overheating? Are we in another housing bubble? Like, all that kinds of stuff. The prices went up a lot over the, sort of the two decades up to about uh, 2010. And then they yeah, fell off a cliff. And then they absolutely fell off a cliff. So there was definitely kind of a bubble effect going on. Prices fell by about 20% over uh, over five years. And they've been slowly, since about um, three or four years ago, um, crawling back up towards the peak. They still haven't actually quite hit the peak level that they hit in 2008. But yeah, I mean, prices have been going up quite fast and certainly in Amsterdam particularly yeah. um, price have been absolutely uh, uh, skyrocketing um, some of the other big cities as well as we were saying earlier in the podcast of course in some places like Groningen say um, prices are still falling yeah. um, because well, that means yeah, Kroningen, no of course sh- it's the effect of the earthquakes right. H- houses in this country I think are quite expensive I think by the standards of European countries as well the, ne- um, the Netherlands is unusual in how many people
people do own property rather than rent it. And there's an enormous amount of... Um, and people take out very big mortgages yeah. for these houses as well. I think the problem uh, that they, um, everyone universally agreed after the housing market crash is that, um, is that a lot of properties in, in the Netherlands were over-mortgaged. People yeah. were taking out mortgages of up to 120% of the house value. Yeah, which is completely so, insane. Which is completely insane is gambling on the fact that your house will go up in value forevermore, which is just not what happens. Housing right. market house prices go up and down. Um, but we've noticed in, in, in recent decades that uh, the Dutch market has been very, very volatile. The, the scale that house prices fell after 2008 crash was uh, was much greater than yeah. um, the neighbouring countries. But they've now changed yeah. these mortgage rules. So it used to be, you know, sort of prior to 2008 that you could borrow something up to like 120% of yeah. the home's value. Um, now it, it's been adjusted down and adjusted down. And now as of the 1st of January 2018, it's uh, it's only 100%. Yeah, that's capped at 100% of the value. Now You, you can't borrow more than your house is worth, which right. seems sensible. Which seems sensible. On the other hand, you might find that, that might encourage prices to go up uh, even more because people can still, still take out the big mortgages, right. but only up to the value of the house. Right. Is this different than it is in the UK? Because in the US, this is not 100% mortgage is not a standard standard thing. Uh, no, I think I think in the UK you do have 100% mortgages. I'm not sure there is any kind of government limit. I'd have to look that up. Um, but yeah. certainly, th- th- there was certainly um, b- b- before the crisis broke uh, in, in in the UK, there was a similar thing where people were borrowing more than the value of their house yeah. and just gambling on the fact that. Um, uh, the increase in value would uh, w- w- would cover for them yeah. uh, over time, um, and the other thing is that there were a lot of people um, took out um, uh, interest only mortgages, yeah. so they weren't paying off the value of their house, and that meant that yeah, uh, then you're basically just renting. You are basically just renting from the bank, yeah. um, with none of the um, uh, but, but, but with none of the things that renting covers you for, like maintenance, for right. example. You know, you still got to cover that for yourself, and if the, if and it's fine as long as the value of your house is going up, but once it starts falling, you are still liable for the capital that's invested in the property. Right. And then if you, if you then have to sell, you end up suddenly with this with this pile of debt because you haven't been paying off your mortgage. Right. So the government changed the rules because the other characteristic thing in the Dutch housing market is that you have this thing called the hypotheque aftrek, right? Which is a um, where you can offset your mortgage payments against your income tax. Yeah. Which is meant to make mortgages affordable for people but it also kind of encourages people to take out mortgages yeah. and to borrow money I think most analysts would say this is the thing that's encouraged people to borrow more than they can really afford yeah this is the same in the US that yeah. there's a mortgage interest tax deduction and there's yeah. a lot of complaints from economists for, for two reasons one that it drives up artificially drives up the price of houses yeah. and two that it's essentially a tax break for like wealthy people because yeah. you know the really poor don't buy houses and so like they are not able to get this like tax deduction which mm-hmm. yeah sort of subsidizes the the purchasing market yeah. and of course you also had the um, in the US you had the subprime mortgage yeah problem. so that so was the whole... actually people who couldn't afford to buy houses were encouraged to buy houses yeah. because of because you had these kinds of um, stimulus measures yeah yeah exactly yeah. so it was a bit, that was all in all a bad situation yeah so do we have a sense of uh, just why the I mean we know that house prices sort of fell off a cliff in 2008 so you mm. expect for them to rebound you know somewhat to, to sort of balance themselves back out. But do we have a sense of why they continue to go up or why they're going up now? I think the straight, the straight answer is that because the economy is recovering now, the housing market is also recovering. When uh, the crash happened, banks then, of course, the first thing that happens is the banks stopped lending money. Right. And that meant they said that no one could get a mortgage and therefore no one could buy a house. And so the number of houses sold fell off a cliff first. And then a couple of years later, the prices started uh, tumbling because it was a, um, an inevitable corrective effect. But it was much fiercer than it might have been because we'd had this bubble beforehand. So now they're rising back up again and they're recovering because the economy is doing well. I watched Matthias Bauman on uh, News the, the other night and he was, he was making the point that you do generally see the market follows the, the track of the economy and because house prices are going up now that's um, feeding into other kind of positive 
economic markers like uh, things like consumer spending, consumer right. confidence. Because if you if the value of your house goes up, you feel richer, and so you start spending money on new kitchens and right. you know, equipment and uh, all the rest of it. But it, it's always a bit of a precarious situation because yeah. if the economy turns at some point, then that's going to probably be mirrored in the housing market, and the price will start to fall again. Plus the fact, of course, that most people only own one property, and it's the house they live in. And if you sell your house you buy another house right. so actually you're not really making any you're not really kind of richer in any kind of meaningful sense because the house you want to buy has gone up in value as well right yeah and now there's uh they they have put in some protections to ensure that like some of these sort of things that happened after 2008 one of them was this like a uh, national mortgage insurance guarantee which protects you if you have to sell unexpectedly so this is if you become unemployed or you get mm. divorced or, or someone passes away and that kind of thing which i think um you know sort of as as someone who's maybe a bit risk verse that 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 is a really nice thing to to sort of know about you know i'm slightly less worried about what happens if if something happens to my partner or if something happens to me or something happens to our jobs you sort of are a little less like concerned about that yeah it's a very attractive deal i think and it it is um you you have to pay a small fee um based on the value of your mortgage um but you can uh, first you can offset it against tax and secondly you tend to get uh, the bank will usually give you a discount on your mortgage rate because you have this protection the mortgage guarantee um provides uh, for you either to um, pay off the debt that you incur when you have to move um, in stages or in some cases it'll be written off altogether Yeah. Uh, quite often because you get a discount on your mortgage payments it actually pays for itself yeah. uh, within a year or two yeah pretty quickly yeah. That's, that was also our understanding when we yeah. start, started looking into this so the other thing that I found sort of interesting about uh, about the Dutch mortgage buying process is, is that if you are a couple and you are buying a house together, you have to get a Soma Livings contract before uh-huh. they'll let you do it. And you right. have to take out a life insurance on each other, oh, which right. I thought were both interesting. So I thought it wasn't compulsory anymore, actually. I thought they changed the rules. Oh, uh, we were so told it was compulsory. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, or maybe it's just the standard. I'm not sure. But yeah, we were I told... think it is a normal thing to do, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So we were told, of course, we are, we're living together, but we have mm-hmm. no Soma Livings contract and, and sort mm-hmm. of an act of rebellion against uh, the, <laughs> the, the normal system. <laughs> Dutch bureaucracy. Yeah, yes. against Dutch bureaucracy. Um, so yeah, we were told basically you have to like get a Som- at least a Salma Leavings contract, and okay. then you have to uh, a sort of a cohabitation agreement, as mm-hmm. it is in English, and uh, then you also have to uh, take out life insurance on each other, so that if something happens to you, that the other person yes. can pay off the mortgage. I would have to say, as someone who has actually cashed in a life insurance policy, I would say always take out life insurance yeah. because yeah, you probably won't need it, but if you're in a situation when you do, you will be thanking your stars that you you had the presence of mind to take it out at the time. Oh, that's a good. It may, uh, it makes such a difference. The fact that you don't have extra financial worries on top of all that is, 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 is it can makes makes an enormous difference to your life. So for the for the small outlay, outlay that life insurance is, it's definitely worth doing it. And if after thirty years you've paid up, you've been paying up your life insurance policies, and you still survived, and nothing's happened to you, be grateful you were lucky. Right. Just yeah. take yourself out for a nice dinner <laughs> exactly. that you've got to enjoy yeah. thirty years with each other because yeah. not everyone gets that. That's yeah. true. So the Dutch news uh, financial advice for the week is uh, is take, take out, out life, life insurance, insurance yeah. <laughs> especially if you're buying a house. That's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can now send comments, compliments and abuse by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, you can subscribe to our feed, give the podcast a rating and share it. My thanks to Molly Quell, I'm Gordon Darroch, and Paul and I will be back next week because Molly's away skiing. Oh yeah, that's right. I won't be here next week. No. I will be. Uh, That's a bonus for our listeners. It is a bonus for the yeah. listeners. Yeah, it'll just be you and Paul. I assume making like really, really terrible making puns. terrible puns. Yeah, yeah it'll be yeah. a lot of really terrible puns. Yeah. So I'm and sorry. Then, for then the we'll listeners. come back uh, and, and, and fire us both. Yeah.